Hello, welcome back to the Bible with Megan podcast. I've been off on holiday for a few weeks and um, we were at home for a bit and then we went camping in Wales for a week. We picked a great week, it was the week before the heat wave here in the UK, so it wasn't super super hot but it was like really nice. Um, so we had a really great time, but I'm excited to be back and diving back into things and today we are in Revelation chapter 15 and chapter 16. We're going to do two today. So let's get on with the episode. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. I spend some time reading through commentaries and studying passages and then chat through here about what I've learned. So you can learn that info on the go, doing your cleaning, while you work. And I really hope this just feels like grabbing a coffee with me and doing a deep dive into scripture together. Let's get on with today's episode. So today we are doing two chapters, um, partly because I'm really keen to finish this series soon. (laughs) I've been doing this Revelation series for so long, but we really are getting there. Today we're going to do 15, 16, um, and then we'll do 17, then we'll do... um, Obviously this is in order, but we're going to group together a couple of the last chapters as well. And... um, we should be nearly there a few more weeks and we will have done the whole book of revelation going through chapter by chapter looking in detail um at the cultural context and the old testament context and just generally (laughs) experiencing this weird book um yeah I, i i can't believe i'm finishing and i'll have to pick something else to start maybe i'll pick a shorter book and then i'll feel more accomplished because we'll get it done quicker um but yeah, I hope you've been enjoying it. And today we're going to do 15 and 16. 15 is really short, um, so I've kind of lumped them together. So let's just start by reading chapter 15, and then we will have a quick look at what's going on there. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So in this chapter, there's a lot of imagery that will remind us of the throne room 
um, right back at the beginning of Revelation, in Revelation 4 and 5. We have that description of the throne of God. The living creatures are here. There's the sea of glass. Um, there's all God's people in the throne room and they are worshipping him. And this final set of judgments, the seven bowls, are about to be released. And the way this is being done is all very temple so the angels come out and they're dressed in these particular kind of robes and these would have reminded the reader of the robes of the Levitical priests um, who used to run the temple and even with these these bowls um, used similar bowls were used by the priests in the Israelite sanctuary so what's going on here is very much linked to the way the temple worked um, with the worship of God and and these priest-looking angels bringing out these bowls. And the presence of these bowls and all this temple imagery that's going on tells us that what is about to happen is about sanctification. The judgments that are coming is, is to do with the world being um, made clean. So these judgments are going to get rid of evil. Sorry, my cat's just started eating her dinner behind me, so I'm really sorry if you can hear her slurping. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. But let's move on to chapter 16. We'll read the first bit of that. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers of the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So let's just stop there for a moment. Once again, these judgments have a really clear link back to the plagues in Exodus, don't they? The water turning into blood. It feels very much the same kind of thing. Um, and in the same way that Pharaoh was continuously kept not wanting to repent, um, was unrepentant of, of things. These people are unrepentant. These judgments are coming upon Satan's kingdom um, and the people in that kingdom, even though they can see the power of God and they can see um, that these are just judgments on the evil as, as the angels declare, um, they still do, do not want to repent. They don't want to glorify him. They're, they're holding on to their ways. These judgments are affecting the people with the mark of the beast. Um, and so it's kind of a bit of a flip to the Exodus story, isn't it? Because in the Exodus story, 
um, the angel of death in the last judgment passes over the houses of the Israelites because they have put the blood over their door frames, haven't they? The, the Passover, the lamb, all of this stuff. Um, but here it's the people who've taken the mark of Satan rather than like the Israelites who put up the mark that God told them to put up. Um, they are now, the judgments are on those people. These judgments do not affect believers. So however you interpret Revelation, whether you think this is a specific um, specific events that are going to happen in the end times to those people that are alive then, or whether you think this is sort of representing something um, wider about the, the judgment of God on, on sin from like Jesus's ascension to when he'll come back, whatever you take, these don't affect believers. So although believers are there, they are living through these times. Um, the judgment is not on them because they are made clean in the blood of the lamb. So in a way, here we go. The Passover lamb passes over them because they are washing Jesus's blood. They can see this happening and maybe it's happening around them, but it doesn't impact them directly. So just to note on that kind of last little bit where it talks about the kings of the East. Um, if you've looked at my approaching Revelation Bible study that's available to download on my website, in one of the um, in one of the sessions, I think it's the one on imagery. Um, I talk a little bit about the kings of the east and look at what Craig Keener says about them, because over time, um, the kings of the east have been interpreted as any enemy that happened to be east of the person reading the book um, <laughs> in different time periods. And he talks a bit about the cultural context of the people who the the first readers of the book. But it's just quite interesting to think about that and uh, if you're interested in kind of thinking about how to approach Revelation, about um, what genre it is, how is imagery used, who is it written to in the first place and what are its main themes, I would really go and encourage you just to look at that Bible study on my website. It's called Approaching Revelation and it's under the resources tab. You can download it as a PDF. It's like an ebook type thing. Um, I've designed it to be done in small groups, um, but you could do it on your own if you want, or just with one friend, you can meet in a coffee shop and go through it. It's super accessible, and it just helps to answer some of those questions about how to even start reading Revelation. But yeah, there's a good bit of there about the kings of the East, if you are interested in the kind of hermeneutics interpretation behind that. So those are the first six bowls, and now we come to an little interlude before the seventh in the same way we have those breaks in the other sets of seven judgments there's a little interlude between the sixth and the seventh we have one here too so let's have a read of that verse 13 and i saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God of God the Almighty. And then in brackets it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Close brackets. And they assembled them. This is the, the, the frog demon spirit things. And they assembled them, uh, the kings, <laughs> just to make it and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
So earlier in the book we heard that out of Jesus's mouth comes a double-edged sword which represents um, his truth, the gospel, um, and that is his weapon. Instead um, of a, a double-edged sword coming out of Jesus's mouth, here we have the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, um, and out of their mouths come frogs. <laughs> so frogs are actually considered unclean in Leviticus um, you can go and read about that but frogs are very unclean things if you touch a frog you become unclean upon contact and frogs are also sort of linked to magicians and sorcerers so the dragon and the beast and the false prophets send out these demonic spirits that look like frogs coming out of their mouth and these frogs go to the kings of the earth and they summon them to come and be an army that's going to fight against God on the day of the Lord. Um, so we've read about Satan's kingdom and we're going to be looking more about that in the next chapter. But here the kingdom is still pretty intact. People are worshipping the beast. These judgments are coming and, and um, people still aren't repenting of that. So Satan's trying to get this army together to stand up against god um and he's calling on all all these kings that are sort of under his his dominion um by sending out frog demons and then we get this verse in brackets that seems to be the words of jesus reminding john and reminding the reader um that he is going to come like a thief and that the one who stays awake will be blessed and this is kind of reminiscent of what jesus says in um, Luke 21 um, verse 30 where am I 34 let me just read this be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with caressing drunkenness and anxieties of life and that day meaning the day of the Lord when Jesus is going to return will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth be always on watch or stay awake it's other translations and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the son of man so there's just a little reminder here as satan's trying to summon all these people to fight against god that jesus is the one that knows when it's going to happen not satan um he's the one that's just going to come back when the time is right he knows the time it's entirely his call um satan won't have any power on that day and yet he's still trying it's like a last resort to try and get these people to fight against Jesus when he returns it's not gonna work and actually we don't see this battle quite often people refer to the battle of Armageddon but we don't see a battle play out what we see is Satan summoning forces in a place called Armageddon and trying to um, pull together an army um, but we don't see Jesus coming down and, and fighting them here. We just see a little reminder to us that God's in control and uh, he will come back when the time is correct and he will come back and he will judge all things and Satan doesn't got a chance. Um, but he's still, he's still holding on to that last minute kicking and screaming. A lot of people ask, Armageddon, where is that? Um, the word itself literally means mountain in or mountain of Megadon, a place called Megadon. So the 
the heart at the beginning it's actually got like a apostrophe breathing mark at the beginning of the word which means that it has a huh sound in front of it um so if you're reading it in greek or hebrew it would be harmageddon um rather than armageddon but ha is mountain basically and then and then um Megadon seems to people seem to think it links to Megadon um and um or Megiddo um and this is actually like a flat plain there isn't any mountains there um it's a big flat plain but it's mentioned in Zechariah 12 so I'm going to read that quickly so Zechariah 12 verse 9 to 11 on that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as the one who grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. So it seems like Armageddon is referencing this prophecy in Zechariah, which is obviously a messianic prophecy. It's clearly talking about Jesus, um, the one that's been pierced. So let me just read a bit of Craig Keener's commentary on this verse um, to help us out. He says, the Lord had promised to gather the nations. And that's that's what we just read in Zechariah and elsewhere as well. But that, that verse he cites here. Jewish tradition about the end time continued this image. The nations and the dragon who led them might intend their gathering for other purposes, but God was gathering them to their own final destruction. The Old Testament site of the end was the Valley of Jehoshaphat, probably the strategic plain of Megiddo in the Valley of Jezreel and, oh gosh, Esdraelon. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, if you know how to pronounce that. It was the corridor between the easily travelled coastal plain and the road to Damascus in Aram, and thus an essential crossing point for armies avoiding the difficult mountains. Megiddo was a plain, not a mountain. Har Megiddo, which the KJV um, read as Armageddon, is literally mountain of Megiddo. But so transforming the site would not be incongruent with John's apocalyptic geography. John's exact referent is debated, but a site related to the Valley of Megiddo remains the most common view and would allow the armies of the East to engage Rome and Palestine. So he's talking about the kind of current cultural context there. But the point is, these prophecies um, of, the, of God gathering everyone um, together for the day of the Lord um, that's what Armageddon is referencing and that's the point that we've just made isn't it Satan thinks he's bringing this army together to fight Jesus but then Jesus's words come in and remind us that he's the one in control um of when he's going to return and that day they will be judged um and so this this supposed army that's going to fight God gathering at Armageddon is actually all part of God's plan to bring these people together for this final judgment so with that in mind um, we are then told about the pouring out of the seventh bowl. So let's read the end of chapter 16. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. 
and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of hail, because the plague was so severe. The declaration of it is done reminds us of Jesus saying it is finished on the cross. God's new creation coming is inevitable, and here it is really beginning to tumble in in its fullness. All this imagery of earthquakes and thunder and lightning and, and hailstones and stuff is um, imagery of theophany, um, an appearance of God. He is coming. The, the manifestation of God's glory is coming to earth and nothing can stop it. Satan's great city and his great kingdom is all absolutely falling apart. The day of the Lord is coming. These hailstones are linked to the imagery around the day of the Lord, the end times, the final judgment, the new creation coming in. Next time we're going to see what happens to Satan's kingdom. Um, it all begins to implode and fall apart um, and fall away and make way for God's kingdom, the new creation. So that's the end of our extract for today. We're noticing recurring themes, aren't we, about God's judgment bringing in the new kingdom. And I think quite often we just think about it as the destruction of evil, which it is, but the destruction of evil is necessary for that process of sanctification for the new kingdom, the new creation to come in, um, in all its goodness and beauty. Uh, so we have this hope that we're looking towards and kind of judgment is part of that hope. Um, it's it's salvific in that, in that kind of way. It's sanctifying and refining the earth. So it's um, so the, the wonderful kingdom of God can come in in fullness. And yes, yeah, it's an exciting thing to look forward to, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's the end of today's episode. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with what I'm doing. If you have time to leave a review for the podcast, please do that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. I'd really, really appreciate it. Um, I have some more exciting things happening soon. I'm hoping to launch my Etsy store with some Bible-inspired prints soon. I'm kind of sorting out the printer and setting everything up this week and I'm really, really excited about it. So make sure you follow me on Instagram or Facebook to stay up to date with that. Have a wonderful week, guys. Enjoy the sunshine and I will see you soon. so much for joining me for today's podcast if you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that would be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey if you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just 
donate a little bit towards making these resources. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Bible with Megan or One Word, where I update everything that's going on and have content on there as well. So I really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Bible with Megan podcast.